All right, we are now in week number three of this teaching series we've been in entitled The Vault. And if you missed the first two weeks, I encourage you to go back and listen to the first two weeks or watch the video. You can go to our website, weareimpact.com, and right there you'll be able to watch. Or you can even pull up our app, and right there on our app, you can go back and watch the first week. Or you can watch last week when Pastor DJ from our Detroit church was here ministering the same message. He ministered it here, I ministered it in Detroit, and we're now picking up with week number three. And our text verse is in Matthew chapter 6, verse number 20. It says, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is. Everybody shout treasure. treasure. No, come on. Everybody shout treasure. treasure. For where your treasure is, there your heart, your wishes, your desires that on which your life centers will be also. Jesus is teaching us here, and he's reminding us here, that what our life is centered on is based on where our treasure is. As I said before, there is no way to separate our treasure from our heart. Wherever my treasure is, that's where my heart's going to be. Wherever my heart is, my treasure is going to follow it. So he's telling us that wherever our our treasure is, our heart is going to be there, And so it's important for us to make sure that we understand what the master, what God is talking about when he says treasure. If I say the word treasure to you, one person is thinking one thing and another person is thinking a totally different thing. And in fact, many of us have heard this phrase, one man's trash is another man's treasure. And so even when it comes to donating and giving things away, we have to be watchful to make sure that we're actually giving away treasure and not trash. And some of us, some of you have seen some of the donation locations that look a little bit like this picture here. When folks are donating, but instead of donating things that are really worth having, they got old televisions and, and old beds that are torn apart and things that they really didn't want in the house that they give away to a donation bin. Really, they're treating it like a trash can and hoping that somebody's going to come and get it and maybe find something in it that is worth having, which is one of the reasons why we're so grateful to have this amazingly blessed church that every year when we do our I Hope, we ask you to bring brand new toys. And it's not because we're trying to be bougie or sedated. We don't want you to go into your kid's toy chest and find a truck that's only got three wheels and bring that in here. Or the puppy with one eye. (laughs) Why? Because if we're showing up to other families and say, hey, we want you to know even if times are tough right now, God loves you, God's providing for you. We want them to know, come on, that God provides in style. Well, now the same thing is true even when it comes to what we bring or what we present to God as a gift that we're presenting to him. Because the reality is, can we just say God is not some middle school teenager who's just excited to get anything from us. He's actually pretty particular about what kind of a treasure, what kind of a gift we bring to him. All you have to do is go back and read the story of Cain and Abel. You'll find they both brought something to God. But obviously what they brought to God wasn't the same because God, the Bible says, he refused Cain's offering, but he accepted Abel's offering. And instead of Cain going back to God to find out well, what was different about my brother's offering than mine, he got upset. Come on, he got vengeful. He got mad that the blessing was on Abel and it wasn't on him in the same way. And instead of understanding why the blessing was on Abel in that way, he got upset. But the truth of the matter is, the Bible describes that what Cain brought. It says this, it says, in the process of time, Cain brought a gift of the fruit of the ground. 
In other words, Cain didn't bring anything that really cost him. He didn't bring anything that really mattered to him. He, 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 he found whatever vegetables he could pick out of the field. And he didn't even bring those vegetables quickly. The Bible says he brought them in the process of time. I tend to think they might have started spoiling because <laughs> he had held on to them so long. He, it, it didn't really matter to him. But the Bible says this is what Abel brought. He says he brought of the firstborn of his flock. And on top of that, he brought their fat portions. In other words, he brought the very best that he could bring to God. And God received his best offering, but he rejected Cain's generic offering. And it's a reminder to us that, yes, God wants us to bring him our gifts. He wants us to bring him our offerings, but he wants us to bring what we consider to be our treasure. There's a story over in the book of Malachi I want to read to you, Malachi chapter 1. And God is having this conversation with Israel. In verse 6, he said, The Lord Almighty says to the priests, He says, Children honor their parents, and servants honor their masters. He says, I am your father, so why don't you honor me? I am your master, so why don't you respect me? You despise me, and yet you ask, How have we despised you? He says, This is how. By offering worthless food on my altar. Then you ask, how have we failed to respect you? He said, I'll tell you by showing contempt. The word contempt means disrespect for my altar. He says, when you bring a blind or a sick or a lame animal to sacrifice to me, do you think there's nothing wrong with that? Try giving an animal like that to the governor. Would he be pleased with you or would you expect him to grant you some favors? In other words, what he was saying is, if you wouldn't even present that to the mayor of your town or to a city council person or to the governor or to some other politician or official, he said, why would you bring me something that you're calling a gift to me that you wouldn't even offer to some human being down here on earth? And the nature of what God was saying, just like Cain, he was saying, you're offering me trash, but you're expecting me to respond to it like it's treasure. He said, you're offering me your base things. You're offering me something you really didn't even want yourself. He said, you're offering me your lame animal, your sick animal. You're looking at your flock and said, that one's not going to be very much. Let me give it to God. You're looking at your grain and and your food, and you're you're taking what's spoiled and and what is is the least, he said, and you're bringing it to me, and you're shocked that I'm not head over heels excited about what you just presented before me. See, the last couple of weeks we've been helping you to gain a revelation of this fact. Jesus is not concerned about our dollars and cents. He's interested in the truth that money actually reveals. How many know that money reveals the truth? Come on, I said, how many know money reveals the truth? Um, Money will call you out. Money will tell folks around you who you really are, what you really are. That's why I tell you, money is neither good or bad. It's not, it's not positive and it's not negative. It's not good and it's not evil. Money is neutral. That's why the Bible doesn't say money is the root of all evil. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. Money is not bad. Money is not evil. And if you, think, if you still think money is evil, I will say again, just bring it all to me and I'll take it. I love y'all so much, I would take all that evil stuff in your house. <laughs> No, money is neither bad nor good. Money is a revealer. It is a magnifier. If there is good in our hearts and when we get money in our hands, it allows us to do good at a a higher level. 
If we have evil in our hearts and we get money in our hands, it allows us to be evil at a much higher level. So Jesus is not concerned about the dollars or cents. He's concerned about the truth that money actually reveals about us. Even when God was, was frustrated with Israel here, his issue was not the monetary value of their offering. His issue was that their motive in bringing that offering to him was an honor. They didn't come with a heart of honor. Come in, can I just tell you this? God really does care what kind of heart we, we show up with. I've said it for years. The church is 27 years old now. I've said it from the very beginning. If you can't give an offering with a cheerful heart, then just keep it. If you, if you haven't grown to the place where you can give with a cheerful heart, I mean, when it's time to give your offering, if you've got to write the check out, you mad. <laughs> and you scribbling on the envelope. And you walk out to the offering bucket and you slam it in there. There you have it, doggone it. If that's the heart you got to give it with, sweetheart, please keep it. Go to Dillard's or go get you something nice. Because we don't want you to give it with a bad heart. Come on, say amen, somebody. We don't want you to give it grudgingly or out of necessity. The Bible says God loves a cheerful giver, man. God loves somebody, watch this, who wants to give to him out of love and honor. And we, we understand that. You don't want your spouse in the middle of the night. You laying there in the bed. They get up and go in the kitchen. You say, babe, can you bring me some water? And you hear him slamming glasses and they're clapping his door. Cling, 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 cling. They walk in, put on your nice and there. Could have asked me that early when I was in the kitchen. You, you know what your response would be because some of y'all are only a third saved anyway. And they catch you on the wrong night, they may get the wrong third of you. Be like, if you didn't want to do it, keep your little water. I get my own water. If you don't want somebody bringing you something when they really didn't want to do it, what makes us think God is head over heels about our offering if our heart really isn't connected to it? I'm preaching better than you are saying amen. I said I'm preaching better than you are saying amen. Here's a quote for you. In order for our giving to be accepted as a deposit in the vault called heaven, it must be offered, watch this, with honor. In order for our gift to even be accepted in the vault called heaven, it's got to be offered with honor. Now, what is honor? The Hebrew word for honor is a Hebrew word, kabod. Kabod. It means literally to be heavy or to be weighty. So to offer it with honor, we have to offer it in a way that is heavy or to be weighty. Another way of saying that is to not treat the person like a lightweight. So if I honor you, then I'm not going to treat you like a lightweight. You know, we, we've all seen kids that treat their parents like a lightweight. Right? You've, all, you've been in the grocery store, and, and, and you see that one kid there, and he grabs a pack of Skittles, and his mother says, no, little Johnny, put those back. And you're watching from a distance, little Johnny going, no. Nah! And it take everything in you to keep him grabbing little Johnny by the head and snatching him up. <laughs> Come on, you know I'm telling the truth. And then his mama's sitting there, and she's, no, little Johnny, that's, that's, not, that's not nice now. What, what did I tell you? How do we behave when we're in the grocery store? And little Johnny grabs something else, grabs some Reese's. Nah! And she said, okay, Johnny, don't make me count to ten. <laughs> and Johnny's not paying any attention. He's looking the other way. She's counting. Eight, nine. 11, 13, 
The whole time you want to send Johnny home to be with the Lord. Why? Little Johnny's treating his mom like a lightweight. He has no honor for his mother's voice. But we've also seen little Jerome. You know little Jerome. Little Jerome, mama had a conversation with him before they went in the store. Look, little boy. <laughs> Listen here, little boy. <laughs> when we get in this store, don't you touch nothing. Hmm. Little Jerome went there. He, you know, he's been a kid. He didn't think anybody. So he reaches up and grabs the reason. Mama. And Mama didn't say, all she did is this. And little Jerome. <laughs> well, see, little, little Jerome is treating his mama like a heavyweight. Hmm. Why? Because little Jerome has honor that's been built up over time. Come on, somebody. And what God was saying to Israel is, don't treat me like a lightweight. Treat me like a heavyweight. Treat me like somebody who actually matters in your life. See, it means to be, to, to, to provide honor means to esteem somebody highly and not brush them off as if they're insignificant. It means to esteem them highly and don't just brush them off like they're insignificant. You know, I, I hate when I'm on like Instagram some of you probably can relate to this. You know, on Instagram, you just mind your business. You're clicking through, and, and then, you know, without realizing, a notification pops up at the top, and you didn't really see it. It says, uh, you know, John so-and-so just went live. And you're trying to click your own stuff and accidentally, boom, hit theirs. And now you're in there live. And they're sitting there. You know how they do. I'm just waiting on a few more people. We're going <laughs> <We're gonna laughs> to wait a little longer for a few more people. And then you feel bad because you see that number up there that says one. That means you're the only one in there. And you're not there intentionally. <laughs> and then it's really bad for me because when they see me on the day, they go, oh, we got Bishop Davis in the house. And I'm like, I'm here by such an accident. <laughs> but you don't want to exit because the only number up there is one. And they know you are the one. Well, I was a, a, a little while ago, probably a year ago, I, I was on Instagram and I don't normally follow, like, the students in our church, you know, unless I know them or know their families well. So one of the, the, the kids of our staff member, I'm not going to tell you who it is, one of our staff kids was on there, middle school kid. And I saw his name pop up at the top because I follow him. It says he went live. And I'm like, well, what is he doing going live? What do you got to say? <laughs> so I, on purpose, I clicked his, went into his live. And it was, you know, a few people in there, and it was him and one of his friends. They, they both going live together. And when I clicked it in, they're like, this, this is how they're coming up. Yeah, man, I don't even be playing that. I wish somebody would run up on me because I let them know, man, because you, you know how I get down. I don't even do that thing like that. I don't even be playing. And then they looked down and they saw George Davis just joined. <laughs> True story. Then it, then it, it, it switched like, well, praise the Lord. God has just been so good to us. <laughs> I was just telling people the other day how amazing the Lord has been. <laughs> what happened when they saw my name? Come on, somebody. They treated me like a heavyweight. It changed the whole conversation in their life. God was simply saying to Israel, after all I've done for you, 
how I've taken care of you. Come on, somebody. How I've woke you up every single day, how I protected you, how I provided for you, how I've given you food, how I've healed your body. You're going to treat me like a lightweight? You're going to bring me something that you wouldn't even give to the governor of your town? He said, don't treat me like a lightweight. I'm going to read a, a, a passage of scripture to you here in, in, in Mark chapter 12. But it's a, it's a story of Jesus, and he's sitting with his disciples, and they're sitting watching the offering take place. Now, for those of you that only experience you have as Impact Church or Faith Christian Center, it's going to be hard for you to get this. Because, you know, at Faith Christian Center, we, we pass the buckets, and even here we pass the buckets until COVID. So right now we haven't gone back to passing the buckets. We literally do our offering at the very end, and we really don't make a big deal out of it. People that give here, they give, and, you know, we encourage you to take your offering envelope and put it into the little box on your way out. We really just don't make a big deal out of it. But some of the churches I grew up in. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Come on, offering was half the service. It'd be a little mini sermon. Will a man rob God? We used to have a little offering box at the front couple trays with like red velvet in the bottom of the tray and the deacons would stand up there behind the trays and my church growing up as a kid we used to, I used to love offering time you got a chance to get up and stretch your legs and walk because the way we used to do offering in, in, my, in the church I grew up in when it was offering time everybody stood up and the ushers would start from the back right corner and they would start with the back row and it wasn't like would you like to come it was like you know what I'm talking about? And then they have on a little white glove. This hand behind their back. And they... Anybody know what I'm talking about? That was your invitation. Get up out of your seat. Bring your offering. Even if you don't have an offering, you can walk, act like you do got an offering. You walk around the front and you put your offering in. Well, Jesus is sitting next to where they're collecting the offering for the day. And in Mark chapter 12, verse 41, he sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put. And he watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but there was a poor widow. And she came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than everybody else. Because they all gave out of their wealth or their abundance or their overflow. But she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all that she had to live on. Come on, man. That's profound. Jesus is sitting there. He's watching as people come by to give their offering. And these rich people are walking by feeling good about themselves. They're plopping down big amounts of money. And this poor little widow woman comes by, probably a little bit embarrassed and probably wishing she had more to give, and she takes a couple little copper coins worth only a few cents, and she puts them into the tray. And Jesus said she actually gave more than all the rest of them put together because they gave the abundance, the extra, what they could afford to just let go of and not even think about. She dropped in a couple coins, but those coins represented everything she had to her name. See, this widow's heartfelt offering of two copper coins meant more to God than the huge sum of money that was thrown in by the rich people because her heart was in her gift. Brings us to this. 
The value of an offering to God is established by what the gift means to the giver. Come on, that's good. See, some of you sitting around feeling bad because you don't have thousands to give and and so you've been ashamed to give because I don't have as much as other people. Come on. God said that the value of the gift is based on what that gift means to the giver. Amen. April and I, we, as you all know, we were, been, were married 30 years this past July. And, and in the 30 years that we've been married, I don't say this to be boastful or brag in any way. Please hear my heart. We have never missed our tithe one time in 30 years. Amen. Not one time in 30 years. I don't recall. Again, we, we both sat and thought about it. We cannot recall one time. If, if, there's, if there is a time heaven has it on record, if we accidentally miss, we don't even recall it accidentally missing. But what I can tell you for sure is that there has never been a time in 30 years where we sat down and we looked at, it's time to give God his tithe. And then we looked at the bills we have or the rent that was due or the mortgage got to be paid or the car payments or the insurance or the tuition and said, you know what? We can't afford to do that this month. We'll get, we'll get caught up next time. We'll, we'll take care of this today. In 30 years, we've never done that. And I know some of you can be saying, well, of course not. You all are blessed. And look how God is taking care of you. You know, I said the other way around. The reason why we are blessed is because we've chosen to honor God for 30 straight years. And I'm saying, yeah, today God has blessed us. Yes, today we can look back and say, man, God has been good to us. But can I tell you, when we first got married as a 23-year-old, marrying a 22-year-old, we were kids. And when I was in full-time ministry when we first started, I started a ministry in June. We got married the next month in July. And my salary when I came into full-time ministry was $22,000 a year. And I got a wife. We weren't living with our parents. When we got married, we made a decision. If we were old enough to get married, we were old enough to have our own place. So we had a place, an apartment that we had. We had car payments. And my wife was still in school finishing up her degree and so I had said to her dad, when he said, yes, he would give me her hand in marriage, I said, if you're going to give me her hand in marriage, I'm not asking you to still pay for her if I'm accepting her as my wife. So we got married in July. He agreed that he was going to pay for that fall semester. So come January, I had to pick up the tab on not just a rent payment and car payments and insurance payments and electric bill. I had to pick up the tab on finishing my wife's college education. By January, I had gotten a raise. I was making a whopping $30,000. <laughs> so our whole house, because she was in school, she wasn't able to work. She's in school. So our whole house has been run on $30,000 a year with every bill you can expect, with her tuition, with my student loans, which are of the devil. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Student loans like Freddy Krueger, man. Like, like Jason, you're in the middle of the night here. ch ch I feel like they ever going to go anywhere, man. We're running our entire house on $30,000. Weren't asking her parents for any money. Wasn't walking in church looking sad so somebody could ask us what's wrong. But through all that, hear me, hear me. I'm just trying to teach you a lesson. Through all of that, we made a decision before we ever got married that if nothing else happened, we were going to honor God because the tithe is not something we're giving to him. It belongs to him. So were there, were there some months where, watch, were there some months where there was more month left over than money? Yes, there were. But did God come through every time? Come on, somebody. 
Come on. Did God, did God multiply the oil like he did that widow? Come on. Did God break the fish and the five loaves? And we look back now, have no idea how we made it through those seasons. But all I can do is tell you, like David said, I was young and now I'm older, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken. I've never seen his seed begging for bread. Come on, somebody. God took care of us in the good times. He took care of us in the lean times. And now we made it to a place today where we were believing for hundreds then and thousands then. I'm believing God for tens of millions of dollars now. But I know the same God that took care of us when we needed thousands. Come on, somebody. He's the same God that can provide tens of millions of dollars or whatever you need. But the problem for so many people is this. We never get a chance to see that God will always come through because we get put in a position over and over where the devil ends up punking you out. He ends up daring you. I wish, I wish you would, Ty. He gives you images of your clothes out on the street and tells you how he's going to make sure you don't have enough. But if you never grow to the place where you put your stake in the ground and just decide, I trust God. So our house is built. The tithe belongs to God. We give an offering over and above that. And then the alms is what we use and ask God to show us what individuals can we bless. So we live our lives looking to bless people. And I believe it's because of that combination, tithes, offerings, and alms that we have seen for 30 years the blessing of God upon us. Now the blessing's rolling on our children. Come on. Now, now our children are big-time givers. Our children tithe off of their money. Our children give. My, my youngest son, just, 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 just got his, he just turned 16, got his own car. And the car he wanted to get was a car that was outside the price range of what I was willing to spend. I give them a range of what I get for him. But he wanted this particular car. So you know what he did? Because he's a tither. He, he's been tithing from his money. He went and got a second job working at Chick-fil-A. He worked two jobs. And he saved, watch it, come on, he saved $10,000 of his own money. So when I, when I got ready to buy his car, he sent over from his account to my account $10,000. So he could, you better, you better act like... The boy was 14 at the time when he started saving his money. But what am I saying? It wasn't just him saving. He was saving and God was multiplying his savings. God had people walking up to him, giving him money, had no idea he was saving for a car. What I'm saying, it doesn't matter what age you are, whether you're young or older. God honors those who honor him. And he'll always provide you every need. You ought to shout like you believe that's true, man. Now, I want to read in 1 Chronicles chapter 21. I want to read something to you, but before I do, let me, let me give you the context. David is the king, and, and David has committed a sinful act. And because of his sinful act, it's opened up the door for a plague to hit Israel, and 70,000 people end up dropping dead. Well, David turns around and does what any of us should do if we realize we missed a mark. He didn't run from God. He didn't start blaming other people. He repents. Repent does not mean I, ask, I say, I'm sorry. Repent doesn't even just mean I ask for forgiveness. To repent means I change direction. Can I just say this? You can be sorry and still not have repented. It's possible to ask for forgiveness and still not have repented. See, if I repent, if I've messed up on my spouse, repentance is not just weeping and crying and saying, baby, I'm sorry. Repentance is changing my phone number. 
if I need to change my job, come on, somebody, wherever the source is, repentance is doing whatever I have to do to make sure that thing doesn't happen again. David repents, and once he repents, God instructs him to make a sacrifice on this mountain called Mount Moriah, the same mountain where Abraham took his son Isaac and was ready to stick a knife in him until God told him he didn't have to. Let's pick up with 1 Chronicles 21, verse 22. David said to Arana, he said, let me buy this threshing floor from you, and I want to buy it at the full price. He said, then I can build an altar to the Lord there so that he will stop the plague. Arana said, no, take it, my Lord King. Use it however you want to. I will give you the oxen for the burnt offerings, and I'll give you the threshing boards for wood to build a fire on the altar, and I'll give you the wheat for the grain offering. He said, I'll give it all to you. See, Arana was trying to be a blessing to David because he honored him as the king. Verse 24, but King David replied to Arana. He said, no, no, no. I insist on buying it for the full price. I will not take what is yours and give it to the Lord. He says, I will not present burnt offerings, watch this, that have cost me nothing. David said, hold on, I appreciate you trying to be generous to me. I appreciate you honoring me as a king, but I can't take your oxen for free and the threshing floor for free and the wheat for free and then take it to God and say, here, Lord, receive my offering because it didn't cost me anything. See, David understood that the value of the gift the, the, the value is based on what that gift cost the giver. What did that mean to you? See, it's probably no coincidence that David was standing at the same place, Mount Moriah, where Abraham was when he came to offer Isaac. See, Abraham offer, was offering God something that was costing him something. See, instead of David offering this gift to God for free, he spent 600 shekels of gold. That's how much he paid Arana. When he finally got around to tell him the value, he paid him 600 shekels of gold. And if you do that in the time value of money based on today's price of gold, that, that today would be $400,000 is what he spent to buy the threshing floor and the oxen and the wheat just so he could turn around and sacrifice it to God. See, David couldn't offer something he got for free because the value of his offering was established by what the gift meant to him. And David understood, I don't owe God money. I owe him some honor. So David knew whatever I present to God, I've got to present it as an act of honor. When we honor God with what is in our hands, and God turns around, he honors us with what's in his hands. And all of us want God to honor us with what's in his hands. And I'm not saying pay for play. I'm not saying you give God an offering, he's going to do something for you. That shouldn't even be our motive. But do understand, they, they, they say this in the church I grew up in, you can't be God-given, <laughs> no matter how hard you try. There's something about honoring God that causes him to turn around and honor you. Proverbs 3, verse 9 says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first and best part of all of your income, then your barns will be full and your vats will overflow with fresh wine. Everything about our lives, our time, our talent, and our treasure should be geared toward Honoring God with everything we have and everything that we do. I want to give you an opportunity to set you up for a chance for us as a church to bring honor to God. We're seven weeks away from December the 3rd. For those of you that have been at Impact, you know that the first Sunday of December for us is what we call Legacy Sunday. It's the one time a year that I ask the whole church 
to bring an offering over and above your normal tithes and offerings. We don't do multiple offerings on Sundays, and we don't do a big pastor's offering and pastor's anniversary every year and church anniversary offering. We do our regular offering. We just ask you to honor God regularly. But one time a year, December the 3rd is this year, ask every family that's connected to Impact to bring an offering over and above your normal tithes and offerings. We don't give you a set amount. We don't tell you what to do. The only thing I ask you to do is simply this. Pray and ask God to tell you what he wants you and your family to do. Do no more than that and do no less than that. And it's an offering that we take to primarily use to be a blessing outside the four walls of our church. You guys give regular tithes and offerings. It allows us to do a lot of amazing things here. covers the bills and the budget of the church. But once a year, we like to end the year and set up the new year to be in a posture where when we hear of opportunities to be a blessing, we can act on it. When we hear of stuff happening in Israel like it is right now, and we're led as a church to give or to sow, we don't have to collect a new offering for that every time. If there's a hurricane that happens, we don't have to say, can you all give toward it? If there's a a family that gets burned out and we get wind of it and we want to help, we don't have to come back and say, would you all give? We collect a war chest once a year. And as the Lord leads us as leadership, we're able to be a blessing on your behalf. Once a year, we ask you to do that. You say, well, why would you talk about it seven weeks ahead of time? I actually, I started talking about it two weeks ago. So nine weeks ahead. Let me tell you the reason why. The reason why we talk about it so early is because we want you to give from a heart of purpose, not pressure. I don't want to talk about it a week ahead of time and you feel pressured next week. I want to give you two whole months just to pray. Just to, when you're in your morning time, just walk and pray. Ask God, Lord, I'm just listening for you to tell me what you want us to do. And I want you to give from this perspective. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7. Each one should give as you have decided in your heart to give. You should not be sad when you give. And you should not give because you feel forced to give. God loves the person who gives happily. December 3rd, we want you to show up with your offering. Nobody's going to ask you what it is. It's you and God. But we want you to show up happy, man. We want us to happily all come and worship God with our giving. Plant our seed over and above our tithe and offering as we ask the Lord to use us as an instrument, a weapon, your tool to help wipe out poverty, to help wipe out discouragement, to help take somebody off a suicide watch because you intervene to let them know that you're good all the time. Now, if you declare that God has blessed you to be a blessing, lift up your hands, help me worship him. Come on, lift up your hands and worship. You are holy, holy. Are you, Lord God Almighty? And worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb.
give God the best praise you got. Come on and give him the best you got. Come on and worship his name. We worship you, God. Come on and bless the Lord. Oh, my soul and all that's within me, Lord. Father, we stand here before your altar. We just thank you for this word today, Father. Thank you for a word that strips us bare, allows us to stand before you, reminded of the reality that we came into this world with nothing. We will leave out of this world with nothing. Everything we gather along the way, Father, is because of your goodness. Father, you wake us up when there's no alarm clock that can do that job. You keep breath in our body, Father, when there's no doctor that can fix our issue. You protect us, Father, when there's no army that is strong enough to keep us safe. You put food on our table, Lord, when there's no supermarket that could do what you do. So every day, Lord, we're reminded that we owe you our very lives. So we make this covenant with you, Father. The tithe belongs to you. And offering is over and above that from our heart to you. And Father, we thank you. Even if our alms is just a dollar, we thank you, Father God. We'll be a generous people that look for opportunities to bless somebody else who's in need and who could use the hand of God to move on their behalf. We thank you for letting us be your hands and feet in the earth. And with everything we are, we love you, we honor you, we thank you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Every head bowed, if you wouldn't. Nobody leaving out, please. Please don't even leave out once I finish the prayer. I'm going to ask you to stay to the very end of the benediction. We, don't, we won't hold you here long, but I'm going to ask you to hang around all the way. There's a, there's a blessing in the benediction. Hang around, if you would. But if you're here right now and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you. This is not a church. We're going to ask you to come forward or say anything publicly to the rest of the church. I'm not even going to ask you to leave your seat. If you're seated, you can stay seated. If you're standing, you can stay standing. But right there where you are, in the room or online, I want to ask you, if you were to walk out here today and breathe your last breath, do you know where you'd go? If you cannot say with 100% certainty that you'd go to heaven to be with the Lord, I want to ask you, would you let me pray for you today? Not here to embarrass you. Not here to make you say anything that could cause you any level of shame. I simply want to lead you in a really simple prayer that will change your life forever if you mean this with all your heart. So right there where you are, with every head bowed and every eye closed in prayer, I'm going to...
count to three in a moment. When I get to three, if you're ready to surrender your life to Jesus, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. I want to remind you that God's not asking you to promise how many things you'll never do again or how perfect you'll be as a Christian. What he's really asking you to do is surrender your life to him for the rest of your days. So if you're willing to commit your life, surrender to him. When I get to three, I'm going to ask you to shoot your hand up as quickly and and as proudly as you can. I'm saying doing it quickly because the devil's going to try everything he can to talk you out of it. And I want you to have so much courage and boldness to shoot your hand up and don't even give him a chance to try to talk you out of it. So if you're ready to give your life to Jesus, I'm counting to three now. One, two, three. Go ahead, lift up your hand. Thank you. Beautiful. See that hand there, another hand there. Thank you, another hand there, another hand there. Thank you. See that hand there, another hand there. Thank you, another hand, another hand right there. Beautiful, beautiful. All over the room, hands are going up. Come on, hands are going up all over the room. You're not by yourself. Thank you. See those hands all the way in the back there. Anybody else? Another hand all the way there in the back. Thank you, another hand there. Thank you, brother in the hat. Anybody else? By raising your hand, you're simply saying, yes, I want Jesus. Yes, I'm ready to surrender my life to him. Thank you. More hands are going up. Anybody else in the room? Anybody online? Even though I can't see you online, raise your hand. And then our team is putting a little poll up on the screen right there. You can click the button. Anybody else before we pray? This is as hard as it gets right here. Thank you. Another hand. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. All right, if you raise your hand, you can put your hand down. Every one of you that raised your hand, I want you to whisper this prayer right there at your seat. Say, dear God in heaven, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus to die in my place. He paid the price for my sin. But you raised him from the dead, and he's alive right now. So Jesus, come into my heart now. Save me. Forgive me. Make me brand new. I surrender my life to you for the rest of my days. And according to the Bible, I am right now. Come on, right now. Come on, right now. Born again. Amen. Come on, Impact.